Well, I have the privilege of introducing our special guest uh, this morning. Tim, yes, right, I was just going to say, I have never gotten that reception, by the way. I have never gotten that. I don't, I don't need I was that, just going to so. say to most of you, the name Douglas Humphrey will mean a lot. To some of you, maybe not so much. It was four years ago. It came in staff in 2011. You were on staff for six and a half, seven years, and then you had a moment of insanity when you came to us and said, I want to plant a church. Yeah, yeah. And I went, what is wrong with you? I still don't know what's wrong with you. I know. <laughs> but we are honored to have you back with us uh, this morning. And I just want to say this. I'm proud of you and uh, thankful what the Lord is doing in your life and in your family's life, your beautiful family. I don't recognize the two kids that are with you. So that's Aaron next to Sheila. Thank you, thank you, thank you. They were kids and came back people. This is amazing. Um, But there are some things I think the Lord has done in your life that can only happen in the fire of ministry. Sure. And I have sensed that with you in the short time I've interacted with you this weekend. Uh, Just a steadfastness, a maturity, a faithful, that God is doing in your life. So thank you for being here. And would you please welcome Douglas to the stage this morning. Totally don't feel worthy to be standing before you all in today. I totally feel like I shouldn't be here. Um, I remember preaching my last sermon here in 2017 and then going out and heading out to North Carolina to start our church there and launching in 2019. Um, And we've been through a lot as a church. And if anyone ever tells you that church planting is fun and is sexy, is in fleek, and this is what you should be doing, they're all lying to you. (laughs) Church planting next to being married is the second hardest thing I've ever done. (laughs) Real talk, real talk. But however, it's been the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in my entire life. And so I'm glad to be able now to open the scriptures with you all on today as we look at the book of Mark chapter two. Um, I pray that you hear something from the text that you've never heard before. We've all probably heard the story of Levi inviting Jesus to dinner, Jesus calling Levi to follow him. But I wanna encourage you to look at the text a little bit differently. And my, my prayer and my hope is that you get something from this text that you've never seen before. Because typically what happens when we work in the Gospels, we tend to say, we've heard that, we've seen that, we've experienced that before, therefore, there's nothing new for me to learn, or rather, this is a reminder of old things. But let's never approach the Word of God that way. Never approach the Word of God that way. And so, if you have a Bible, let's grab it and open it to Mark chapter 2. If you need a Bible, one of the ushers will get one to you. Um, If you need sermon notes, the ushers will get those to you as well. We want everyone to be able to follow along and see that what I'm saying from the Scripture is actually from the Scripture and not popular opinion. This morning, I want to do the work of addressing a commonly held belief that some people are too bad for Jesus. In other words, based upon what they're currently doing or what they used to be, what they used to do, they shouldn't have access to the Lord's grace. There are some people that we classify as unworthy, as people who are not worthy to receive God's grace of salvation. And as Christians, we don't often like to think that way. As Christians, we don't like to think that there's some people who are too bad for Christ's grace of salvation. We don't like to to think that we have to contend with these types of sins that we think make people unredeemable. 
But we know in our hearts, and we know from the scriptures, we know from doing theological studies that no one is beyond Christ's redemptive blood. We know, theologically speaking, that anyone and everyone can be saved if they profess faith in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't stop any of us as saying sometimes that he should not receive grace of salvation that their lifestyle is too out of order. They're too far to the left, they're too far to the right. It doesn't stop us from classifying some kinds of people. And I hope that by now you are thinking about that person in your life or that, that type of person or that type of sin that you think is beyond Christ's grace of redemption. Because we like to think that we're good Christians and that we welcome everybody. But in reality, all of us have those people. And I'm gonna share my person here in a moment. But I want us to get us thinking along those lines because the sermon is titled, Who's Coming to Dinner? Who's coming to dinner? As in, who's coming to Christ's table of salvation? Narrow is the road to Jesus Christ, but his gospel is able to redeem each and every person who puts their faith in him. I'm not sure why we wrestle with this notion that there's some people who are beyond, beyond salvation. Maybe we fear being sucked back into our old way of living. Maybe that person is living the lifestyle that we recently got delivered from. Or maybe we don't fully understand what it means to be justified before the Lord. But whatever the reason is, all of us need to guard our hearts against excluding people from the gospel of Jesus Christ and judging people because of their sins. So what are we to do with this issue? regarding the person's worthiness that we assign to them or their unworthiness to receive the gospel that we assign to them. Well, in today's text, we see that Jesus combats this perfectly through his willingness to break bread with people that are classified as unworthy. He communicates one single solitary radical truth, and here it is, write this down. I would encourage you to write this down. No one is too unworthy for Jesus. It's simple, uh, like I'd have to get out of bed to hear that, Douglas, we get that. We know no one is too unworthy for Jesus Christ. We know that, but again, Sometimes our hearts stop us from extending the same grace to all people that we've already received. No one is too unworthy for Jesus when it comes to a person's worthiness regarding their need to be saved. Where Jesus is their Lord and Savior, no one is off limits. No one is too far gone. No one is life exclu lifestyle excludes them from salvation. And I know that this is a bold statement. I know that this is a brash statement for me to make, but let me specify before we move on. I'm specifically talking about people who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about people who say they love Jesus Christ. I'm talking about those who have yet put their faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the individuals who are not beyond Christ's reach. You guys with me? If you guys say amen or chime in, it's all good. I'm used to that where I come from. You don't have to be super quiet if you don't want to be. It will not distract me. Actually, it'll encourage me all the more. So however the Lord leads you in that. All right, so beginning in Mark chapter two, verse number 13, the first thing we see is this. The gospel serves everyone regardless of their worth. The gospel serves everyone regardless of their worth. That's the first thing we see in verse 13. It says, Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. Jesus has just committed an egregious act by inviting a known tax collector named Levi to be one of his disciples. Of all the people that Jesus could have and should have chosen to follow him, Jesus picks a tax collector 
tax collectors were some of the most reviled people, similar to African slave catchers who helped the slave traders by catching their fellow Africans, or Jewish sympathizers that sold out their fellow Jews to the, to the Nazis. To be a tax collector meant you worked for the Roman government, this seemingly unstoppable pagan force that was working to subjugate the entire world. Tax collectors were responsible for taking the taxes from the citizens and ensuring that the Roman government had all the financial means necessary to keep on controlling and ruling the world. However, as a means to turn a profit for themselves, some tax collectors would take some for the Roman government and they would take some for themselves. And this is the type of tax collector that Levi was. He would, that some tax collectors would make sure that they took some for the government, but then they would simply pocket the rest. And so essentially what happened was the citizens were being taxed twice. Levi, along with the other tax collectors, are guilty of usury, taking advantage of their fellow Jews. And most tax collectors in this region of Capernaum, they were Jewish. And since the Jews bemoaned their Roman overlords, Jewish tax collectors that double taxed their fellow countrymen were despised. They were viewed as, viewed as traitors to God. The tax man was hated. They were treated with contempt. And as it stands, there's no modern day equivalency to the first century tax collector. These people were universally hated. No self-respecting Jew, no self-respecting priest or rabbi, which Jesus was, a teacher, had any business talking to a tax collector. However, we see in verse 14 that Jesus stops and talks with Levi, this known tax collector. And as if that wasn't bad enough, he invites him to become one of his disciples, just like he did with Simon, Andrew, James, and John when he said, follow me to them back in chapter one. Why do I need to give you all this background information about tax collectors? It's because Jesus extends salvation to the worst kind of person that we could ever imagine in Jewish culture. Why? didn't Jesus just simply pass this guy by? He knew what the tax collectors were, what they represented. Why didn't Jesus just pass him by? Levi is the worst of the worst kind of people. What is Jesus up to? What statement is our Lord and Savior trying to make by befriending and inviting this tax collector to follow him? Jesus has just served someone the gospel that appears to be unworthy. But here it is, guys. In the eyes of Christ, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they came from. It doesn't matter the color of their skin, what they used to do, or any of that. In the eyes of Christ, it doesn't make a difference what their religious background is. As long as once Jesus calls them, they believe in him as Lord and Savior and begin to follow him. That's what Jesus is going after. You guys still with me? Those of you who have ever planned a party or a wedding or some type of big event, you guys know how stressful it can be to figure out who to invite, right? And some, yeah, there we got one. (laughs) This is going to be a great time. Um, Some people use very interesting metrics to decide who they're going to invite to their party, right? Some of us might say, well, because they invite us to their stuff, we're going to invite them to our stuff. Some people say that we're going to invite the who's who's and the the social media influencers of the age because we want to be seen as being popular and in the know. And still others invite more people than what they can afford to feed. But here's the interesting thing about Jesus Christ when he invites someone. Jesus is different in the fact that he has more than enough currency to pay for all of his guests. 
because his grace is boundless. And Jesus doesn't play favorites. If Jesus calls you, it's because he wants you to follow him. And when he does, he expects you to leave your old life behind, your old way of thinking, your old way of feeling, your old self-worth, and as in surrender your complete and total being to him. That's what he expects if he calls you to follow him. In the eyes of Jesus Christ, no one is worthy, not one is worthy, but Jesus, who is rich in mercy, invites everyone to partake of his gospel and sit at his table of salvation alongside of him. I love that. That's, that means it includes you, it includes me, it includes everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to visualize a banquet table where Jesus is at the center, surrounded by all these saints from all different types of cultures and backgrounds and all these types of used-to-be's. That's what it's going to be like in glory when we sit down with, the, when we sit down with Jesus Christ. It's going to be people from every walk and shape of life. And I just can't wait to behold that. Can't wait to behold that on that day. Notice how Levi responds. Levi, it says that he got up and followed Jesus. Again, Levi is the center of all sinners. He's the worst human being. He is the worst human being possible, but yet he gets this personal invitation to dine with Jesus at his table of salvation. And Jesus says, and he says, yes, Jesus. The man jumps up and he leaves everything behind which would have included lots of money and worldly possessions. This man, he was rich. By his standards, by his, by his equivalency back then, he would have been a millionaire. And he decides to leave all that stuff behind and to follow Jesus. And Levi makes this immediate decision. He decides to follow Jesus. He didn't drag his feet. He didn't hem and haw. He didn't deliberate. deliberate. He didn't do a group text and ask his friends, what do you think about this Jesus guy? Is it worth following him? What do you think about this viability of this Christianity thing? He didn't have a plan B, a plan C. Levi simply got up and the text says he followed Jesus. I wonder, I wonder if maybe the reason why some of our prayers go unanswered or the, maybe the reason why we can't get the, the peace that we desperately need or the, maybe the reason we can't move beyond a specific issue, a sin issue, is because we refuse to let go of what we've been doing and grab hold of what Jesus has for us next. You guys with me on that? Amen. Sometimes we see what Jesus wants to offer us we know what Jesus has to offer us is way better than what we currently have, but because the new is unknown or because the new might be uncomfortable or because we're comfortable doing it the old way, we refuse to let go. Of all the people who could have said, I can't let go of what I have, it would have been Levi. But Levi, it says he let go of everything and he followed Jesus. Before we go anywhere with Jesus, whether you're a new believer, you're not a believer, or you want to grow higher in Jesus, in order before we go anywhere with Jesus, we have to let go of what we're currently holding on to. And I think Levi is a great example for each and every one of us. Let go of what you're currently holding on to. I think Levi understood, understood all of that, so he let go and he started to follow Jesus. And as a means to thank Jesus for this new life that he was being introduced into, he decides to honor Jesus with a banquet. Look at verse 15. It says that while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, 
Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. Levi throws a party for Jesus. But this isn't just your any, kind of, any old kind of party, right? Levi didn't just say, let me just invite the elders and the deacons and the small group leaders and all of those type of, and the worship leaders. He didn't do all of that. Levi invited his kind of people. Levi is a what? He's a sinner of all sinners. He knows tax collectors, people who live in that life. So uh, Levi would imagine people that he did life with. He would invite the thugs, the drug dealers, the sex workers. He would invite the loan sharks, the scammers, all those kind of people would have sat at that table or in that room with Jesus. The kinds of people that no self-respecting Christian would ever be caught dead with. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. The kind of people that no self-respecting Pharisee would be caught dead with. Levi invites those people and Jesus obliges him and he, they all sit at dinner together. Levi invites his kinds of people and Jesus obliges him by attending. Here's what we know from verse 15 and here's where I'm going. Jesus' table of salvation is full of unworthy people that receive his gospel just like you and I. Jesus' table of salvation is full of unworthy people that receive his gospel just like you and me. Jesus' banquet table is full of exes, former sinners, people like Levi who came, whose name is later changed to Matthew to signify his new life in Jesus Christ. This was us. We're the ones that should have not been allowed to hear the gospel, let alone to respond to the gospel. But at the right time, Jesus had mercy on us and allowed us to hear and respond yes to his gospel of salvation. I don't know about you, but it seems, at least in my Christian walk, the older I get in Jesus Christ, the harder it is for me to remember who I was before Jesus Christ. The harder it is for me to remember the type of life I lived, the things I did, where I went, the people I hurt, the type of lifestyle I engaged in. And it gets to the point sometimes where I act like that stuff never ever happened. And then what happens is I begin to think that because I have these biblical convictions, because I'm a stern, staunch Christian and I'm ultra conservative, then that means that I've never done anything wrong before Jesus Christ and that somehow my sins were less offensive to Jesus. And I begin to judge people who don't know Jesus Christ my way or people who have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ, some of you can resonate with that. Especially the longer we're in, in, in churches like this who have awesome ministries that, who are pointless forward in Jesus Christ, if we're not careful to remember where we came from, we, begin, we can begin to think that our lifestyles before Christ weren't that bad. Your sin, the person's sin outside these four walls, my sin, all of our sin nailed Jesus to the cross all the same. That's just a little dose of, of, of humility for all of us to drink. And I put myself out there first for that reason. For those of us who have been in Christ for a long time, there's a danger of believing the lie that the sins we committed before Christ were somehow less offensive. And they weren't. They weren't. One of the ways that our pharisaical tendencies come out are when we tend to condemn young people for doing the exact same thing that the youth of today are doing. I have three examples I want to share with you, maybe to lighten the mood a little bit. I've been a little heavy-handed with you. Um, so you know how like, we listen to our kids' music or young people's music, and if, you're, if I say young people, I mean between the ages of 13 and like 22. That's young people to me, all right? So you know how you hear young people's music and you begin to judge them and say, well, I never will listen to that kind of music. 
Older people tend to hear songs by Drake or Jelly Roll or, Jelly Roll or Cardi B or Taylor Swift or Gucci Mane or Lizzo. Y'all laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Or even Eminem. And we hear these lyrics say, oh, that is just horrendous. That is horrible. Back in my day, I never said the words back in my day until I became an older man. And now I say, I'm like, why does my son like that music? And we like that kind of music. The songs we listened to weren't more holy, they weren't more pure, they were just as perverted and twisted as the songs of today. That's one example. Or maybe we, 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 we talk about people and how they use their smartphones too much and how they're ruining, ruining our ability to engage in a social conversation. It's ruining our ability to pay attention to the world around us. Some people say that we're in our phones too much, and that may be true, but guess what? We've always looked for ways to be disconnected from each other. You have the people on the left, they're reading their newspapers. This is bad during the days of the horse-drawn carriage. They're reading newspapers rather than talking to each other. And then the people on the right, they're doing what we do today. They're looking at their social media feeds, checking CNN, finding out what's going on. We've always looked for ways to disconnect from one another. And then here's another example. How about the hypocrisy of, the, of Inspector Renault in the movie Casablanca? Inspector Renault shuts down Rick's cafe and he begins to exclaim, I'm shocked, I'm shocked to find out there's gambling in this establishment. And then right when he says this, this waiter comes by and gives Inspector Renault his winnings from the roulette table. Take a look at this clip. Everybody is to leave here immediately. This cafe is closed until further notice. Clear the room at once. How can they close me up on what ground? I'm shocked. Shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out at once. You see what I mean? You see what I mean? We act as if like our wrong is less wrong than someone else's wrong. And all those examples, those are, those are examples of that. Christ's table of salvation is full of people that used to live in sin. They were controlled by it. People that believe the lie that man is capable of being his or her own God. People like you and me. Jesus freely offers his gift of salvation to everyone, no matter where they came from or what they did. And please never forget that. The stuff you used to do back in the day is no different from the stuff people are doing today. You with me? Amen. So let's not judge people. Because had it not been for Jesus' grace, you would still be dead in your sins. We would still be dead in our sins, just like those individuals starving for salvation, out in the cold with no hope, no chance of salvation. Show others the same grace that Jesus extended you so that, you might be, so that they might find their way to the Lord's table. Jesus' table is full of unworthy people that received his grace just like you and me. But whatever you do, don't allow the guest list, the people that you see sitting at the table with Jesus, keep you from partaking in Jesus' invitation to follow him. In other words, don't uninvite yourself because you refuse to eat with sinners just like yourself. Don't uninvite yourself because you refuse to eat with sinners just like yourself. And this is exactly what the Pharisees did. They missed Jesus time and time again because they wouldn't allow themselves to identify as sinners in need of a savior. Look at verse 16 this time. It says, when the scribes, 
who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his, peop- his disciples, why do they eat with tax collectors and sinners? With this seemingly innocent question, the Pharisees make a self-righteous assumption. They assume because they don't associate with sinners that somehow they're righteous. And if Jesus, who claims to be on a mission from God, truly is righteous, then he would not be caught dead with sinners like, those, like the tax collectors and the other sinners at the table, let alone sharing a meal with them. The Pharisees were a messed up group of people confused and self-righteous, who only believed that they alone were worthy of being used by God, and they were the ones of all things righteous. But per usual, the Pharisees have gotten things twisted. They accuse Jesus of eating with sinners, but in reality, Levi and the other, other people who are at the table, they started following Jesus. So these are Christians now. Verse 15 says, for there were many who were following him. You guys get the picture there? The Pharisees are accusing Jesus of eating with sinners, unredeemed um, um, infidels, pagans. But in reality, they started following Jesus. They started believing in God and following Jesus. These people like Levi left their old way of living behind and they started to follow Jesus as in they became followers of Christ. The Pharisees are the true sinners. They're the unworthy ones. At every turn, they look for reasons to disprove Jesus' messiahship, and they work to cause division and strife within Jesus' ministry, always in the background working like a sneaky, slimy snake, sowing seeds of doubt and division and discord, raising false accusations against Jesus. The Pharisees uninvited themselves because they refused to eat with sinners. And I can't help but wonder if there's a group of people or a type of person, or maybe there's a specific type of sin that is keeping you from dining with Jesus, from being fully engaged with Jesus and his church. You see, it's impossible for us to read this text, see Jesus's heart for the sinners and the Pharisees' obstinance towards Jesus and not ask ourselves, Lord, am I guilty? Or Lord, how am I guilty of being Pharisaical? Let's keep it real. All of us have a type of sin. All of us have a specific person or a personal conviction that if you're not careful can cause you to drift into the waters of self-righteousness. All of us have those areas we need to be on guard against. What I don't want you to do is to sit here, listen to this sermon, and leave here saying, at least I don't act like the Pharisees, I'm good to go. That would be a miss of the entire sermon, a miss of the entire text. All of us have those, have those things. All of us have those areas where we tend to act pharisaical. And I'll be the first one to admit that I have to guard my heart against other pastors. And here's what I mean by that. Whenever I see a pastor who uses God's word to create a, a podium for themselves and they preach God's word as if this is a, a book to get all you want from God so you can be blessed, it really rubs me the wrong way, as it should. And also when I see pastors who think that their, their, life, their, their private life and their spiritual life are mutually exclusive, I get really upset. I get bothered by that. So much so, but I begin to judge them and act as if my sins or my issues are somehow less egregious before the Lord. Here's the thing, guys. We all have that kind of sin or that type of person that we want to label as being unworthy, that we want to label and we want to put down. The bottom line is that we all have those areas, specific types of sins that we want to judge people for and show how we're better than them. And whatever your area is, I want to encourage you to confess that thing to the Lord, 
Because if you're a Christian, the issue isn't that you lose your salvation, because that's not a thing, you can't lose your salvation. The issue is that you put a cap on your spiritual growth. Whenever God exposes an area of growth to you or a sin issue to you, you have to confess that thing and, let, and invite him to do the work in your heart so you can keep it moving further and farther in him. We can't continue on doing the things we always have. Paul reminds us this, that apart from the impartation of Jesus' righteousness in Romans 3.10, I'm sorry, there is no one righteous, not one. Don't miss your chance to dine with Jesus, being further sanctified, growing in godliness because of the people that are already following him. We all have some growing to do, so how about we all do a better job of extending grace? Amen? Amen. But should you continue to judge people, here's the warning for those of us who have thick skulls sometimes, and I'm definitely in that category. But should you continue to judge people, know that Jesus will confront you and he will correct your improper way of thinking. Look at verse 17. It says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. He says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call the sinners. I want you to notice that nothing escapes Jesus. He's at the table. He's at the table with these other people, these other sinners who have not put their faith with him. But he overhears the Pharisees talking about him. From, uh, from the dinner table, he hears the Pharisees' conversations with the disciples, and he responds. He says that healthy people don't need a doctor, but those who are sick, those who are outside of salvation, those who are outside of me, they need my help. They need the doctor. You see, Jesus didn't come to save people who are already saved, people like the Pharisees who have their self-righteousness already intact and thinking that's what they need. People who think that their self-righteousness have made them somehow sufficient for salvation. But Jesus did come for those who are spiritually sick. People that realize they're incapable of saving themselves. He came for the worst of the worst sinners. He came for the social outcasts, those who are stuck dead in their sins. In short, Jesus came for everyone who is willing to receive him. And this is good news because it means that it's room at the master's table for everyone. And there's always an open seat for Jesus to receive more who will put, his faith, put their faith in him. Therefore, all that says to us this, we should view non-believers as needy recipients of Christ's gospel. Instead of judging them, we should do the hard work of proclaiming the gospel to them. No one, no not anyone is too unworthy for Jesus. He freely serves the gospel of salvation regardless of the things they've done. And should you have any doubts, take solace in knowing that the Lord's table is full of people that didn't deserve his grace of salvation, but he gave it to them nonetheless. Yes, there's room at the master's table, but don't uninvite yourself because you refuse to associate with sinners just like you used to be. Loved ones, loved ones, loved ones, loved ones, loved ones. And I say that because I came from here, I am one of you, I say this with the deepest sincerity. Whoever that person you have in your mind right now who doesn't deserve the gospel, erase that person or that type of lifestyle. 
Begin to pray for them. When you see people living foul or doing things perverted and converse different from the scriptures that you live according to, you should pray for those people. They're confused. They have no clue what they're doing. Pray for those individuals. Don't be so heavy-handed to get to the point where you judge those people because unless you share the gospel with them and the Lord convicts their heart, they're going to remain dead in their sins. You guys with me on that, right? We got enough judging going around. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your soul, then this is your chance to say, Jesus, I believe in you. Save me, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And if that is you and you want to confess faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you can grab anyone with a name tag around here or even go see Garth Glenn. He would love to talk to you about your next steps. If you're already in Jesus Christ and this is your chance to ask the Lord to examine your heart and expose your pharisaical tendencies to you, to expose how you are being self-righteous to you and then confess that thing and let the Lord deal with your heart as you move forward in him. I want to invite us to pray. And as we do, um, I want to invite you to pray specifically thinking about that type of sin or that type of lifestyle or that person that you think you should exclude from the gospel and invite the Lord to work on you regarding that thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for giving us this time to gather in your name. Thank you for your patience in growing us and dealing with us in our sin and the issues that we are currently wrestling through, combating with, Lord. Help us to see the gospel as being for everyone, even the people that we don't want to have it. Remind us of your grace in letting all who believe dine at your table. Keep us from being pharisaical, refusing to see the error of our own ways, and keep our hearts soft and turn to you, Holy Spirit. And finally, Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength to change the things that we can, courage to trust you to change what only you can change, and would you grant us the wisdom to discern between the two and then give us a courage to respond accordingly. Lord, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.